Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. All right, uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and kind of start today just by going to the Lord and in a word of prayer while, you, while you're going there. Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus, the name that's above every other name. God, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And God, as we dive in, I pray that each one of us would purpose in our hearts, Lord, to be good ground. Lord, that is the word of God is sown into our hearts that it would grow and produce fruit, Lord God and yield in such a way that we, we would become uh, rivers of living water to those around us as the love and peace of God flows out of us to those around us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we declare these things. Amen and amen. All right, so here we are. We're in Ephesians chapter 2. We're kind of crawling through Ephesians. And so if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, kind of what you missed, first of all, was a setup Ephesians is that Paul he started out on his missionary journey going through Ephesus and 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 I'm not going to go through the whole thing a third time but let's suffice to say when Paul showed up in Ephesus God moved in a crazy way weird stuff started happening people started extolling the name of Jesus and Ephesus which wasn't a small town it was a big city and all throughout the city the name of Jesus became proclaimed so much so they even began to disrupt the local economy. That's a revival right there. God moved in such a mighty way that Paul ended up purposing to stay there two to three years just to, to disciple the new believers there. And, and he stayed there, which culminated in his exit in a, in a riot that happened in the city, and, and then he felt like, maybe I need to move on. And so this, this amazing move of God happens in the church at Ephesus. Fast forward five years, and Paul is now writing the letter that we're reading today back to that church. And since then, there's been so many new converts that Paul doesn't even know all of these new believers in Ephesus. In fact, it's almost like it's a whole new church because so many more have begun to, pro have began to proclaim Jesus as Savior and Lord in Ephesus. Everyone say, yeah. That sounds like the kind of thing I want to happen right here in Carroll County. Right? That God move in such a mighty way that the name of Jesus is extolled, the economy is disrupted, and, and we all just surrender our hearts to the Lord. I'm, I'm about it. I'm about it. So today we're going to be venturing over in Ephesians chapter 2. And so if, if you were just to start, pick up this and start to read just Ephesians chapter 2, um, and it starts out this, and you were dead. Now that's, that's a terrible way. For me to start a sermon and you were dead but we know that's not the way this book started right that's not the way this this letter to the ephesians that started it, it started talking about blessing and we we talked about blessing and if you want to go back and listen to those you you can go on onto the website fhop.church or you can go to spotify or apple or wherever you get your podcast you can go and listen to those and and get in there but what we found out in those first couple weeks is one, that you are blessed, you are chosen by God. Before he even created the first part of creation, he knew you and he had a plan for you. 
He adopted you as sons and as daughters. You are no accident. And he, he declares life through Jesus Christ to you. This is what we, he, he's been writing about. And so this has really, really like been some good stuff. Like, like Paul, I mean, if you're a coach in the locker room, this is the kind of stuff that gets you pumped up. Like, yeah, yeah, I belong to Jesus. This is good stuff. And then right here, after he makes this whole thing, and, and he, he's kind of culminating chapter one. Of course, he didn't write it in chapters. And I, and I just want to really, we have chapters. The chapter things aren't in the original. If someone knows. I have this really cool Bible at home. It has no chapters or verses in it. It just reads. It's really neat. Uh, I highly encourage everyone to get one because it makes you, forces you just to keep reading. Instead of like, I'm done with chapter one. No, you just keep going. And you're like, I didn't realize those two things went together. It's so good. But at the end of chapter one, he ends kind of like what we were talking today about Jesus, the name that's above every other name that has all authority, that has all power in that name, the name of Jesus. Amen? That's where he ends chapter one. And then he takes this turn as we get into chapter two with, and you were dead. And you were dead. Say, I was dead. And it can seem kind of like a, uh, a downer, kind of like, oh, come on, Paul, you were, it was such a positive, uplifting letter. You were dead. And this is what it says in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the, the power of the air, the spirit that is now work in the sun's of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You were dead. Now, now, we're not going to go on to the next part, because the next part is exciting. But if I were trying to be really cool and trendy this morning, I, I, would, name, I would name this sermon The Walking Dead, Right? Because that's what it says here. You were dead. Now, pause. He's talking to Christians in Ephesians. He's talking to believers. He's talking to people whose hearts have been transformed into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he's reminding them, you were dead. Okay, sometimes some of us were like, you know what? When, when I got saved, like, like, I don't even want to talk about that stuff anymore. And I get that. Like some of the stuff that's back there is like, it's, it's back there. Let's, let's, we're heading down the, the road in, a, in the car now. Let's rip off the rearview mirror because I don't even want to look back there anymore. I understand that. But can I tell you as part of your testimony, it's important to remind yourself that you were dead. I, I don't, like, why would even you bring it up if it wasn't important to remind you that once upon a time, you were dead. You were dead. And, and this, is what, um, this is what one um, commentary said. It says, talking about death, it says, we were so entirely under the power of sin that we had no more power, no hope, nor ability to get up and out of it than men dead and buried have to get out of their grave. And this is what I like from another uh, theologian that was like back in the, oh my gosh, 
in the 1700s or whatever, he said this, and, and this, is, this is good. Um, he says this about being dead. A corpse is insensible, like it has no senses. It sees not, it hears not, it feels not. The sound of music and the voice of friendship and of alarm do not arouse it. The rose and the lily breathe forth their fragrance around it, but the corpse perceives it not. The world is busy and active around it, but is unconscious of it at all. It sees no beauty in the landscape. It hears not a voice of a friend. It looks not upon the glorious sun and stars, and it is unaffected by the running stream and the rolling ocean. So with the sinner in regard to the spiritual and eternal world. He sees no beauty in religion. He hears not the call of God. He is unaffected by the dying love of the Savior and has no interest in eternal realities. In all these, he feels no more concern and sees no more beauty than a dead man does in the world around him. Such is, in fact, the condition of the sinful world. There is, indeed, life and energy and motion. There are vast plans and projects, and the world is intensely active, but in regard to religion, all is dead. The sinner sees no beauty there, and no human power can arouse him to the act of God any more than human power can rouse the sleeping dead. All that to say this is in your human power, you cannot bring someone to life in Christ. And, and this is what's like, you can't argue someone into the kingdom of God. You can't logic them into it. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't like, you shouldn't study the things of God. And, and I mean, looking at science and things, all these things are good because God will approach different people different ways. But there is no human power. There is no perfect words that you can say to bring someone into the kingdom of God. You cannot raise someone from the dead spiritually. It has to be God. But guess what? Through God, you can just the way, same way you could raise someone from the dead in life. I kind of disagree with this guy. I was like, you can't raise someone from the dead. Well, through God, you can. Not me, but him to make him famous. I was dead in my trespasses. I was completely and unequivocally like, like I couldn't even hear the voice of God. Everything that happened to bring me to life was completely in him and through him. And this one says it hit. It would be one thing if Paul was like, you were dead in your trespasses or you were dead in your sins. But he like, like he's really like driving it home here. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And, and a trespass is like, the, the word for this is like a misstep. How many have ever had a misstep before? Yeah, but, but it doesn't mean like an accidental like, oops, misstep. It's like, a, it was like you knew better. You did it anyway. Um, I remember his, Caleb was five. My daughter was five years old, and my wife had graduated with her master's, and she was like, I was like, what do you want to do because you graduated? And she was like, I want to see the Redwoods. And I was like, okay. So I went on, and I Googled. We're not just going to go see the Redwoods. We're going to see the dadgum biggest Redwood tree in existence, right? We're going to – I found it in California, and we – we drove out there, a road trip with a five and a seven-year-old. It was wonderful. 
my wife's eyes are this big around. Um, there were times we literally looked at each other, and they were having so much fun in the back seat, screaming and playing, but at least they weren't fighting. And we were like, we were like, let's just leave them. It was so loud, but it was like, they're happy. Let's just endure <laughs> just a little longer. Um, so we, we drive up, and I would tell you, this, this tree, it was enormous, right? It was like, it's 25 feet in diameter. That means like a cross. I mean, this thing was huge, and we were like, wow. But then there was this other area. It was called, um, I think it was called Morrow Point or Morrow Rock. I wrote it down. It was, yeah, Morrow Rock. Get this. It, it rises almost 7,000 feet above the sea level. Um, it has a beautiful panoramic view. There's a trail that goes up to it. This trail, um, it says here in this, this little hiker's guide, the trail is a half-mile round trip crossing ledges that will give wobbly legs to anyone with a fear of heights. Guess who has a fear of heights? Has any ever, have any of you ever met Michaela? My, she's nine now. She was five at the time. The kid just like, the world is her playground. And my wife, she loves great views. And she's like, I want to go up to that rock. And I'm like, Whew. granted that these, the steps were built 90 years ago that go up to this thing. And so we're going, and they're like, oh, there's, there's railings and things and, and, and markers. But sometimes the boundary was like a rock this tall. And that was the boundary between, like, don't step on that rock, right? And so you're walking along this little path. It was like no more than this step right here. It was the step and then, you know, 400 feet down. Dad wasn't having it at all, right? It was freaking me out. The whole time I had Kayla's hand, I was just squeezing it. <laughs> we got up to the top, and by the time we got to the top, I was exhausted, not because of the climb, but because my heart rate had been going a million miles an hour. And then I turned around and realized, we have to go back down. And, and I, I should point this out. The trail, or staircase in quotes, um, has no junctions and is only wide enough for one hiker in several places. And we have to go back down. It was the most stressful thing ever. We got down to the car, and I was just like, oh, like, <laughs> the tree was great. That hike was awful. Because, and here's why, one misstep, right? One, one misstep, it, it would not have been fun. That was not enjoyable. But right here, when we see in our trespasses, it means that we misstepped. And it wasn't like an accident, not like Michaela who's oblivious to the world and just has fun and climbs on everything, not like that. It's like when your mom and dad says, hey, don't touch that, and then what do you do? You touch it. And that's like, like people get this whole thing about original sin, like, you know, Adam sinned, and now we all have inherit that whatever, and we're like, oh, man, if I could invent a time machine and go back and tell Adam to not eat of the fruit, then we'd all be perfect today. And the, the answer to that is no, absolutely not. Because here's why. If you were Adam, 
in the garden, you would have done the exact same thing. You have eaten that fruit even though God told you not to. You know how I know? Because I've seen us all do it. We know, we know the right thing to do sometimes. And what do we do? And we step, we, we misstep. Not accidental. Not accidental at all. It's an intentional decision to disobey God. And, and this word sin really means to miss the mark. See, God in his holiness, he has this, 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 like this standard, this mark, this bullseye that he wants all of us to hit. And none of us can. Because we're so busy jumping off into other paths and jumping off sides of cliffs. doing the, hey, This is great. And God's like, no, you're completely missing my holy standard, my holy mark. And you're dead. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses. Your trespasses and your sins. And I just realized I've been preaching like 15 minutes and I've made it through the first verse. But can I, can I bring this back? to our testimony this is me this is you and it's important to remind yourselves of what you were and and because it's so powerful and this is what i've been you know as we give our testimonies and and i want you to start this morning i want you to think through your testimony because it's so powerful to be able to share what christ has done for you like to be able to say this is what i was like before christ and then to say this is how i met him and this is how I've changed. And this part is this part of the testimony is, is this is what I was like before. And I'm not giving any glory. I've heard some people give uh, testimonies. The first date I was on with my wife, um, we were in Oklahoma City at a Christian rapper concert with her youth pastor. Because that's the way you should do first dates, with your youth pastor. And this rapper got up there. And he started talking about his life before Christ. And about halfway through his testimony, I was like, it sounds to me like he really misses his old lifestyle, right? Because the stuff he was bragging about, I was like, it sounds like he's like, yeah, I, like he sounds like he still wanted to go back a little bit. But, but here, Paul saying, no, 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 I was dead. It wasn't good for me. I was dead in trespasses and sins. And he says this, in, in, in which we once walked following the course of this world. And if you flip over to Colossians real quick, because it's going to kind of give us a little more. So if you're in Ephesians, it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So just keep turning right, just a few pages. And this is what it says in verse 21 of chapter 1. So 121, it says this. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. This is what it's talking about. It says you, you were, you were, you were alienated, you were hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's the way you were before Christ. And this reminds us, first of all, of three things, because because this is bad, because this, this death isn't just, hey, I was dead, but there's three things here I want to really point out in this, is that one, you were, you were condemned. Like, as we'll read here in just a minute, you, you incur God's wrath. Your sin and your trespass got you something. 
And it wasn't good. It was condemnation. And, and people are like, wait, a good loving God, he wouldn't condemn me. But, but here it is. He, it's because he's good and loving that he condemns. And we've used this example before. Think, think if you went to a judge. And the judge was there to pronounce a sentence over someone who'd done some horrific crime. Maybe they'd murdered someone. And the judge said, oh, well, I'm good and I'm loving, so I forgive you. I set you free. We would not call that a good judge. We would call that an evil judge for setting a murderer free. Right? That's an evil judge. And so because God is good and he is loving, he's condemned those who are guilty. And guess who's guilty? I was guilty. And then here's the next part is alienated, like completely separated from God. We were separated from God because we were enemies of God. And, and I remember in college we had this debate about hell. And is hell a real place? Is it really actually a fiery place or is it just, you know, what is it? Right, and you guys, I don't know if you know, there's a big debate out there amongst some different groups that, well, hell's not actually a, a lake of fire. It's, you know, all these other things. You're just separated from God and da-da-da-da-da. And, and we, we had this whole debate, but at the end of the day, something we could all agree on was that what hell is, is separation from God. It is separation from God. And can I tell you, there's nothing worse than that. Because here's the thing about hell, it's complete and utter separation from God. Even here on earth, we're alienated from God, but his presence is still among us. You have never one day in your life been completely separated from God. You have been alienated from him, withdrawn from him, and that's our status before we met Christ. We're condemned, we're alienated, and here's the next one, we're earthly minded. Or what it says in Colossians, we're hostile in mind. We, we just think about us. We're selfish. And, and this, is, oh, this is so hard because some people are like, no, no, no. I was a pretty good person before I met Christ. Like, I was good. And I would say, you were good for your own gain. You, you know people who are not Christians who are good people, but, but it's, it's, it's for our own gain. So people think, you know, I'm pretty awesome. I'm a good guy. And that's being our thought. And some of us are like, yeah, I wasn't that guy at all. I was, I was completely just, I was about me. I didn't care who I hurt. I didn't care what I said. I just want to feel good. I would do whatever it took. In Romans chapter 8, let's flip over to Romans for a second. Let's go backwards the other way. Acts, Romans, Corinthians. It's right there. In Acts chapter 8, verse 6, this is what it says. Romans chapter 8, verse 6, this is what it says. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. With friends like these. This is what it says. It's pretty simple, short and sweet. Um, for to set the mind on the, excuse me, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life, and peace. Set the mind on, on the flesh, on what feels good to you. To set your mind on yourself is death, but to set your mind on things is what? Life and peace. And sometimes, like, 
when we're talking with each other, guys, when we get really offended with each other, when things start going real bad for us, it's because we're really concerned about ourselves. I'm really concerned about the way you have offended me because I'm concerned about my own flesh. Like, I'm concerned what's going on with me, my flesh. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. Or it's, I'm going to do this thing. Let's forget you. I'm by myself. I'm going to do whatever this thing is because it makes me feel good. Alcoholism or drugs, you know, these are the big ones. Pornography. Sitting there and watching Netflix for five hours. Am I bringing it home to you yet? You're thinking about yourself. I just want to sit here and do nothing. And I get it. There's times and seasons we just need to relax. But, but it's something different to just be, I'm about me. And that can look really different to each one of us. We all have the thing that we do that makes us feel good and it's all about us and we don't care about anybody else. And I'm not here to split hairs about which one of our things is worse. You think five hours of Netflix isn't bad when you know, you know you shouldn't be doing that. I'm not saying, maybe you should, I don't know. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy who's out doing this thing. You're about yourself. You're about your flesh. And this is the thing, is when your mind is on the spirit, you have life and peace. And that's what the scripture tells us, to set our mind on things that are above. And the reason that we don't have life and peace is because we we're often thinking about how we can make ourselves feel better and how other people aren't cooperating with me trying to feel better. And so we're wrathful to our children. Why? Because they're not doing the thing that I want them to do. Instead of walking with them, we're wrathful towards them. With our friends, with our spouses, whoever it is. Our bosses, when the scripture tells us to love everyone, even the people who don't love us. Jamie sent me that little gem a couple weeks ago when I was struggling with somebody. She's like, well, I'm reminded that we should love those even if they don't love us. And I'm like, I'm just going to. I don't remember reading that one in my Bible. <laughs> I don't have to do it. No, we have to love people, because even sinners, it says, loves people who love them. And we're supposed to be above and beyond that. Not because we're better, it's because we're redeemed. So this is what it says. It says we were... Um, We walked, let me, let me go back to this. It says, um, we walked following the course of this world. And that, that word walk there means like it was our habit. It was our lifestyle. It wasn't that we were just every now and then doing something bad. We have been, we walked thinking about ourselves. We walked in a lifestyle of being dead. And that's why I was like, we should have called it the walking dead. Um. We followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the order, 
the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And what, what this is talking about is like there's stuff going on in spiritual places that we can't see that's influencing our, 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 our world. And you guys know, like, like, guys, I get it. Today's culture, I know we're all like, man, today's culture is bad. It's counter to Christ, right? The culture of the world is in contrast to the things of God. And that's the way the enemy wants it to be. And it says that's the way we all walked. We walked with the status quo of what the world said was okay. The world says it's okay for you to do the thing that you're doing. To walk in that way. But what's crazy is, and, and, and this, this, this struck me, um, my Uncle Clail one time, um, he's, he's gone to be with the Lord now. Um, he grew up, oh gosh, I don't remember what year he was born. 32, right? Um, I remember, he, I think he said, how old was he when he rode into Berryville for the first time? Like, I remember him telling the story. He jumped on the back of a wagon and, and from Oak Grove, he told me, and he rode into Berryville, and he remembers the first bottle of Coca-Cola he ever saw. I think he drank it right there on the square in Berryville. Can you imagine? Just a different time. And as he was, as he was talking about all this, he said, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of bad things we see today. And it's different than the bad things I saw when I was a, a kid. He goes, but I, I don't know if I would say it's worse. It's just different. Sinful people are sinful people. It's just a different time. That, that's what he was saying. And then he told me about a fight that he witnessed out in the square of Berryville. Some couple of boys just roughing each other up over a horse, I think is what it was. Um, it was, it was fun. Um, it, well, it wasn't with guns. They were, they were throwing hate makers is what they were doing. It wasn't, it wasn't a gun fight. It was a fist fight. And he was telling me all about it. But his point was, is that, like, like, listen, the state of people is, is, is I'm going to go according to the, the status quo of the world. I'm going to do what the world says is okay. Maybe even do worse than what the world says is okay. But if you're going along and just doing what the rest of the world says is okay, you're walking dead. But the world thinks I'm fine. The world thinks I'm a good guy. That, the spirit of the age is what it calls it. It's, it's this cultural influence saying, well, you're fine the way you are, and you're not. And you know this. Some of you know that because some of you, that's your testimony. It's like when I was in the world, I was just vanilla. I was just good. And then I met Christ and I realized I was dead. I was completely dead. I was just walking along with everybody else. And then I think I've driven this point home among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. I've talked about that. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. as we read in Colossians and in Romans, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And, and can I say this, and I, I, I don't want to, gosh, I'm not just trying to be a negative preacher here, but the world will incur judgment. The wrath of God is a real thing. And you don't hear it talked about much anymore. 
but the wrath of God is a real thing, and God will execute judgment over sin because he's a good judge. And we all are by nature children in and of ourselves. We incur the wrath of God because we've missed his mark, because we misstep intentionally. And the good judge says guilty, and the good judge not only sentences, but then he executes the judgment. And this is all really bad news. What Paul is trying to say here to the Ephesians is, you weren't just messed up, you were completely gone. I would say this, there's nothing useful about someone who's dead. You were useless. You were dead, you were gone, you were an enemy of God, you were a child of wrath. Verse 4. But God. But God. I want you to highlight that. I want you to circle that. I want you to make those two words a cry of your heart this morning because that's the way you were. But God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loves us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Here, guys, you were dead, you were awful, you were ruined, there was nothing good in you at all. But God. But God. Meaning, and what we're going to talk about next week more is, is 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 nothing to do with me because I was completely hopeless, I was completely failed. I was a failure. And that's what that word sin missed the mark means. It means I was a complete failure. But God. And this is what he says, he's he's rich. God is rich and he gives us three things in this verse in these verses that he's rich in. In this verse, this first one, it says he's rich in mercy and rich in love. It says because of his great love. You see that in your Bible there where it says he's rich in mercy and because of the great love in which he loved us. That word great doesn't mean just like, oh, it's so great. That great is a word that means like, like a number. Like if you had a great amount of money, which all of you today are like, man, I wish I had a great amount of money. I wish you did too. We'd all go out to lunch together and you could buy. But that's what this word great, it doesn't just mean like great, like, oh, you're so great. It's great as in like, like a number, a, a, like, like an amount, a multitude, because of his great love in which he loves us. So he's rich in mercy, he's rich in love, and you skip down a few verses, it says he's rich in grace. And this is, this is what's so good, is that, that his, his, his love and his mercy and his grace towards us, like, like, to, to think, to think that when you're just perfectly useless to someone and they reach out, um, 
Aaron, last night you went to that pie auction. What was the name of that family, that lady? What? The cousin's family down in um, Huntsville area, and I think my wife taught one of their kids last year. They have fostered 99 kids. They fostered 99 kids. And then um, they adopted two of them, three of them, two or three of them, and she taught one of their adopted kids last year. Like, can you imagine, like, first of all, fostering that many kids? Over the last 17 years? Yeah, not all at once. Oh, my goodness. And the reason they were having the pie auction is because um, the wife was diagnosed with cancer. And they were raising money for her. But the, the heart of love, to look at a kid and just say, okay, I'm going to adopt you. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna adopt you. You you do nothing for me, but I choose you. I choose you. Because he's rich in love and mercy and grace, and he just he, like he looks at us and we're completely useless to him. We're dead. Because you've done nothing good yet, and I choose you. And as we saw in chapter 1, I adopt you. I call you my son. I'll call you my daughter. I'm bringing bringing you into my family. And guess what? You're going to be part of my inheritance. Because of my love and my mercy and my grace. And it's this passage right here. There's so many times I begin a prayer. I start off with, God, thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. What I'm saying is, God, everything I am is all because of you. Because in me there's been nothing good. But you saw, you saw me. You saw me in my dead state. And you, what it says here is you, you raised me up. You made me alive. How many of you have been made alive in Christ today? Right? And that's, that's that next part of that testimony. It's like this is the way I was. But there's a moment where I came to know Jesus. And I like, because some of us probably grew up in Christian culture. And so there was before we kind of knew Jesus, but then there was that day we knew Jesus. And that was something completely different altogether when we really had that encounter with him. And we say, okay, now, now I knew him, but now I know him. And I've been made alive. And you knew it was different because before it was just kind of a thing you did, but all of a sudden you felt like you'd been reborn. You felt like you'd been made alive. And what's so crazy is, in, in, this, in this verse, it says that we're made alive together with Christ. That, that, that word is like, in, in the original language, is like synergy. You know what synergy is, right? Like, like if one guy tries to pull on something, he can pull, you know, like 100 pounds or whatever. But if two guys pull on something, it's not just 200 pounds they can pull. It's like, you know, 500, 600, you know, it's like way more. It's, it's like a multiplying effect. Like together with, it's even better. And that's where we get this word. When it says that we're made alive with Christ, what it's saying is when Christ rose from, to d- from the dead. Think about this, because that's crazy. I'm sorry, I'm like, let me, let me calm down a second. Maybe I shouldn't. I'm, 
Can't even breathe. When it's crazy to think that someone can raise from the dead. In fact, it's impossible. And yet God does it. God manifests himself by raising from the dead. And what he's saying here is that when we said yes to Christ, right? We were made alive. And what it's saying is we were made alive with Christ at the moment he rose from the dead. And this is what it says in other places. It's saying the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. That's some crazy power that's inside of you right now. And so that when Jesus rose from the dead, I'm not just celebrating, yay, Jesus, because Easter's coming up or, or you know, um, whatever, Resurrection Sunday or whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't want to offend anybody by calling it Easter, but that's what the world calls it. So anyway, um, but, but when Jesus rose from the dead, we're not just celebrating like, like Jesus rose from the dead, but I was raised with him, with that power. And it wasn't because I was great. It's because his resurrection power is so great that it rose me from the dead as well in fact what it says in the scriptures that when jesus rose from that a few other graves popped open that day too it says people saw some of their loved ones that had died just walking around like what in the world is going on that's how crazy the resurrection power of jesus christ and so the, so that i am made alive together with christ and by grace i've been saved and then in verse 6 and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. And, and this is what's crazy. What he's referring back to is back in chapter 1 where we saw that Jesus has a name that's above every other name. He's the king of all things. And he says, you know what? I'm seated in an authority over all things. And guess what? You are seated with me. Do you deserve to be there? No. And that's some of you definitely feel that way today. Right? Some of you are like, yeah, I'm not a good Christian at all. I definitely don't deserve to be seated next to Christ. First of all, I'm going to say none of us do. Second, I'm going to say all of us do. You, listen, God doesn't think of you Mm, this is so good. God doesn't think of you as just the sum result of the last sin you did. Your value in God isn't just as good as your last sin. Because that's the way some of us, some of us, we think about that thing that we did. And it, it weighs on us, it haunts us, and we just carry it around. Again, I say there's grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And his goal isn't to lord that sin over you so that you feel awful his goal is to make you understand that you're a son or a daughter of the king and you're supposed to sit next to him in authority so you don't walk around with your head down like yeah i'm supposed to be a christian but man i know i mess up no 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 you're a son or a daughter and you have the authority of christ that means when you walk into a room even if you've messed up even if you've messed up, you bring the presence of God with you. You bring the authority of the kingdom of God with you. There is forgiveness for sins. Because now that you're in Christ, you're not walking in sin anymore. That's, that's, that's the old you. That's the dead you. 
You're not walking in that anymore. Do you mess up? Sure, but guess what? God says you are a son, you're a daughter, you have authority in Christ, you're seated next to Christ in heavenly places. Why? Why would God let messed up people who were dead and stinky Why would he let them sit next to him? And can I get the whole worship team to come up? I want all of y'all. And, and here, I'm going to tell a story before I finish this, too. This morning, what was the first song we sang today? Yeah, let's do that. Because um, here's why. I'm laying in bed this morning, and how's that song go, Jamie? How's it start? There's a river. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> there is a river. Where goodness flows, is that what it says? There is an ocean that drowns sorrow. So I'm laying in bed this morning. My wife and I are just kind of talking, you know, whatever. And uh, whatever. And all of a sudden, we hear two little feet thump on the ground. It's Michaela. She's a little, yeah, she's the little. And all of a sudden, we hear. We have, you know, we got them a little speaker in the room where they can play music. And all of a sudden, we hear. There is a river. For goodness flows, our door flies open. There is an ocean that drowns sorrow. She jumps into bed with us, and she starts bursting, bursting. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Thanks, Zach. Um, <laughs> corniest dance move of all time. Um, the kids love it. Um, and she started doing this, and I'm just like, Lord, you are so good, like, like, for some reason this morning, you used my kid to minister to me to remind me like, like that you are just good. You're just good. And because and sometimes, sometimes I wake up, I'll just be a little open here. Sometimes I wake up and I feel pretty crummy about myself. My eyes pop open and I think about how messed up I am. And I think about how I can't like, Drew, why can't you just die? Like, like not like die, but like like, to yourself, to your desires, to your passions. Like, why do you have to want that all the time? Why, do you, why, why can't you just want the things of God? Right? We beat ourselves up. And what God is saying is, no, no, no. Listen, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're seated with me. I raised you up so you could sit with me, not raise you up so you could feel crummy all the time. The point of being a Christian isn't just to feel crummy all the time when you do stuff bad. The point of being a Christian is to walk in love and forgiveness and authority. And, and we live surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. We live surrendered to the name of Jesus. But we walk in authority of his love. And this is, this is what's crazy. So why did Jesus do this? Why does he cause us to sit next to him? Will you stand with me? This is why. So that in the coming ages, verse 7, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us and Jesus Christ. What he's saying is in the coming ages, the reason I did it is from here and now on, I just want to show off. I just want to show off of how great I am. I just want to show off of how deep my grace is and how, how amazing my love is towards you. And so that you can walk out of here and in authority this morning, because, you know what? I have the grace and love and mercy of God. His riches are with me. I am his son. I am his daughter. I don't have to hang my head in shame. 
And guess what? If you do mess up, we have an advocate with the Father. And you can go to Him, and He is faithful, and He is just. And He'll remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. And then we'll disciple you so you don't keep messing up in that area. Because you're in a small group. Can we pray? And then we're just, we're, we're just going to worship. Father God, we thank you, God, that, that you are God. You are the name that's above every other name. And God, while we were dead in our trespasses, while there was nothing good in us, Father God, you reached out and you made us alive with Christ. Lord, and we stand here this morning as sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Father God, we just want to celebrate the good things you have done. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.